0: Welcome back. I hope you are having a great day today. Now, since I'm recording this in advance, I have no idea what kind of a day it is. They're saying that on the 9th of December, 50% chance of rain. So is a cold, kind of dreary, kind of a blah day for a Monday. Oh, no one wants a day like that. If it's true, I'm sorry. But let's make the day better. Let's talk about Christmas. Why not, right? We're getting closer to it. Hey, what makes Christmas Christmas for you? Think about that. In fact, put me on pause. Really think about that. Put me on pause. And uh, if you are listening with somebody else, I know some of you are doing that, hit the pause button and share with one another what makes it Christmas. Like list, I don't know, four or five things, then come back. Do it right now. Pause. Pause. Maybe you did it. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. Pause. Think about it. What makes Christmas Christmas? Man, there's a lot of things we could talk about, right? Christmas tree, family, presents, milk cookies, Santa Claus. Sure. Reindeer, lights. For me, I don't know why. Eggnog. I I just think of eggnog for Christmas and I like eggnog. But I don't know why I think about eggnog, but I do. Church. For me, when I think Christmas, I do. I think the candlelight service Christmas Eve. That's usually the first picture of, um, or the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm thinking of Christmas. Everybody's singing Silent Night. It's just that, it's a great moving moment, Christmas. But is that the full essence of Christmas? I mean, if you were just to, to put your picture up there on a board, write some of those things down, is that really what, what Christmas is about, right? Just the Christmas trees and the the reindeer? No, it, it's so much more than that, right? I mean, we wouldn't have the full understanding of Christmas. So Christmas isn't its fullest sense if we're only talking about the the things that we do, right? We got to talk about the Christmas story. We got to talk about Jesus. That has to be brought in because doesn't that make Christmas so great? It's fine to have all that stuff, but really all that stuff supplements the greatest story where God comes to us to free us of our sins. Now, you didn't come here for a sermon today, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because that really is a good lead in to what we're going to find here in chapter 9. And if I could kind of briefly summarize what nine's about before we get into some of the details, I think it might better help us to understand it. Because nine is really a long chapter, and, and you see a lot of transitions happening within it. The first part of chapter nine, you could almost see it maybe going with the end of chapter eight, where we had all those miracles happening. Uh, we see the, the kingdom of God talk again happening, and a lot of good stuff is taking place. But then Jesus is going to send out the disciples to do things that Jesus was doing. They're going to continue that on. But then you get to this transition, which is the, the transfiguration talk, um, which then talks about what Jesus was sent to do, his exodus. And from that point on, he's going to have his eyes set toward Jerusalem. But what I think is very interesting about chapter 9 is that the disciples are going to start to see, even though they're not going to understand, but they're going to start to see that Jesus' ministry and and this kingdom of God stuff is so much more than what they envision it. Right? They're seeing the miracles. They're seeing the healings. the, The people that are blind are seeing, deaf, hearing, all that. And that's great. That's good stuff. You want to see that. But that's not only it. Jesus comes for other things, right? Not just to heal people. He's come to to bring peace between mankind and God. He has a very important event coming up that he has to do. And so we're going to see glimpses of it here in Luke chapter 9, and it will continue on throughout Luke. Uh, So with that being said, well, we're going to dive in uh, to, to nine, and we are not going to be able to cover all of this, not even close. So I apologize for skimming through like, what might be some of your favorite stuff, but we're just going to have to. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, but anyway, you know, we talked about how at the beginning, Jesus is going to send out the 12. They're going to do the kinds of things that Jesus was doing. They're going to be casting out demons. They're going to be doing healings. They're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. But he tells us something interesting. But as he's sending them out, he tells them something very interesting. He says that they're not supposed to take anything extra, no staff, nor bread, nor money, uh, not to take an extra tunic. But when they go, things will be provided for them. In their discipleship journey, God is going to provide for them. Why is that important? Well, it's important that they're not leaning on the world, but leaning on, on Jesus to provide. We see another glimpse of that when he feeds the 5,000 individuals. You know the story, right? It's a very well-known common story. The disciples are hungry. It's getting late in the evening. They want Jesus to send the crowd away. And he says, no, give them something to eat. Right? Didn't they just learn the lesson God is always going to provide for them? They say, we can't. We just have five loaves, two fish. We're going to have to go buy food for all of these people. 5,000 men, it says. So then you got to think of the women and the children being there. Thousands of people. Who's going to who's gonna take that bill? Who's going to get stuck with that bill? Wow. Jesus sits them down. Go ahead. Have them sit down. Get them into groups. He takes the bread. He breaks it. And everybody is provided for. It's, it's amazing. So you could see how maybe this part is similar to chapter eight. Jesus is doing amazing things. He's a miracle worker and everybody's amazed, right? But then Jesus asks them, asks the disciples in private here. He says, you know, what do people say about me? Some say John the Baptist. Others say maybe Elijah, one of the prophets of old. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answers, the Christ of God. What's he saying? The Messiah, right? You're someone that we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. And Jesus tells them not to tell anybody because he doesn't want this out yet. He still has things to do. He doesn't want this to prevent what he is going to do. See, so they know who he is now. Now we're going to have to talk about what he's been sent to do. Not just doing these things that, He's been doing all along. But this is when he goes into his first passion prediction, the first of many in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if you want to know what they are, it'll be in chapter 9, chapter 13, chapter 18. And there may actually be a couple more that I missed. It wouldn't surprise me. Now, this particular part of Luke, it doesn't have a response from the disciples. In fact, in some of the other passion predictions in the Gospel of Luke, all it really says is that the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. It wasn't revealed to them yet. However, in Matthew's gospel, as well as Mark's gospel, we see that, yes, they don't understand what Jesus is saying, but they're also a little bit more adamant uh, to confront Jesus about these things, right? Right. That's when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. But that's not included in uh, Luke's text. But I think we can probably apply it here. And truthfully, why wouldn't they understand? I mean, if somebody came to you and said, hey, um, I must be handed over and I must be killed, you would get in the way of that too. You wouldn't like to hear that. Sure, there has to be something else that we have to do, right? Something else that's going on. Everything is going so smoothly right now, Jesus, you're gaining disciples. You're gaining the crowd. People are excited to see you. I mean, you're making everybody's life better, right? Ah, well, yes, but things are about to change because Jesus didn't come only to do these things, right? He's come to do more. and Before that... He's going to, well, have more run-ins with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the like. And that's really going to start to happen. That's going to start to take place after what happens next. And that's the mountain of transfiguration. At the mountain of transfiguration, that's where things are really going to turn. Uh, From this point on, this is what's called the travel narrative, where Jesus, from the transfiguration on, has his eyes set towards Jerusalem. That's going to be the ultimate goal. So as he's going towards Jerusalem, as he's making his way towards Jerusalem, things are going to become a little bit more heated with the establishment, with the Jews, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees. Yes, there'll be some of those individuals who want to hear what Jesus has to say, but there'll be others that are, are frustrated, angry, because he doesn't fit their mold about what it means for him to be the Messiah. So let's actually look at what happens uh, at the mountain of transfiguration. Yes, we know that uh, Jesus becomes dazzling white, right? He, he changes, his face changes in appearance. He's he's beautiful, right? He's this, this majestic white, whatever it looks like. Uh, but again, we need to focus here That uh, before the glory comes this stuff about the cross. We need to see that as we get toward the end of the book as well. Before the resurrection, before the ascension, before the glory, there's going to be the cross. And we can understand that in our lives as well. We want things to be perfect. We want things to be great. We want it always to be exactly how we want life to be. Every sin done away with, sure, but every sickness healed, yes, yes. Every relative that's been hurting, we want them healed. We don't want them to die. We want all that reversed. But unfortunately, in this life, we know there's going to be suffering. There's going to be hurting. There's going to be crosses that we have to bear, both in terms of living in this world, but also dealing with persecution. But, But we keep in mind the glory is also going to be revealed for us, thanks be to God. But I'm digressing. I apologize. One of the things we note is what Peter says when he sees that uh, Moses is there and Elijah with Jesus. He says, Master, it's good that we are here. And you can't blame him for that, right? Come on. You see these individuals there that are with Jesus, Moses, Elijah, the prophets of old. Why would you want to come down from this place of glory? No. Why why would you want that? Stay up here. But I love it. It says, not knowing what he said. He had no idea what he was actually saying because he doesn't understand what Jesus is supposed to do. So, when all this is happening, that's when the cloud comes over and we have this phrase again that we heard once before when Jesus was baptized. It was a little different, though. Here it says, This is my son. But back at his baptism, it was more of a declaration You are my son. But here, this is my son. Wants to make sure that everybody that's there hears it and knows that this is my son. So, as they hear the father's voice, they understand who Jesus actually is. It's just as Peter has already confessed this is the Messiah, this is the chosen one. He's verifying that this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So, everything that Jesus has said up to this point, including the stuff about the suffering, listen listen to him this is why he's come so of course as he comes down from the mountain he meets the crowd and things kind of continue the way that they were before where there's another demon that he's going to be casting out but then already in the same chapter he makes another prediction let these words sink into your ears he says the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men this is going to happen Now, of course, they don't understand this, but he's saying this all along for us and everyone to realize that when he lays down his life, it is just that. He is laying down his life. This is not something that's being taken from him. This is not out of the plan. This is not just a second part. Um, This isn't just part B. It's not like the plan went wrong. This is what was supposed to happen. Jesus has to go through this. He must be handed over. But it kind of shows that they don't get it. They don't understand it. And well, let's be honest, neither do we, right? Because what do they do? They just start arguing. (laughs) They argue about who's the greatest. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? Oh, who gets to do this? Who gets to do that? My children do it all the time. I want to sit in the front seat, try to talk to them about serving and letting the other one uh, do it. And of course they grumble. No, why don't you tell them to let me do it, right? Right? And we're the same way. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who gets the privileges? I want it to be about me. Well, wait a second. No, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. As Jesus has already been demonstrating, by the way, he's, yes, taking in time to pray, but that gets interrupted. And what does he do? He starts looking to the needs of others. And what he's going to do when he lays down his life, he's going to be looking to the needs of others. Everybody else is first in Jesus' mind. His own well-being is second. That sometimes is difficult to think about this time of year when we're thinking about ourselves. What is it that I want Christmas to be like? Well, what is Christmas supposed to be like? Well, it starts with others, right? Okay, we're going to finish up here. Uh, Last part, the cost of following Jesus. Uh, People are coming, they they are seeing Jesus, and they want to follow him. Problem is what we're kind of finding out from Jesus is that it's not going to be easy living. What does he say? He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm always on the run. To another, he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But few go proclaim the word of God, right? Because he wants to first either bury his father or more than likely wait for his father to die, right? There's other things that he wants to do. But Jesus says in his name, now's the time to follow him. Now's the time. There's no looking back. It begins now. It begins today. So yes, chapter 9 has definitely taken a turn. Things are going to heat up. Things where the Pharisees are going to pick up. His teachings and parables are becoming a little bit more difficult. Uh, We're going to see that as we uh, keep moving through the text. And it's going to be challenging, right? Following Jesus, it's not easy. It's not about doing what we want to do or when it's convenient for us. We follow Jesus, So as we are looking forward to Christmas on this, I hope it's not, but maybe dreary Monday, we're just thankful, thankful that he paved the way before us, that he actually did take up his cross. So today, I hope you find ways of doing that as well, that you follow Jesus and all that you do. All right, guys, keep reading, uh, keep pressing on. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to keep going. I'll see you tomorrow. Chapter 10, here we come.